UltimateSportsTalk.com now presents the longest-running Internet radio program in America, the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show, a comprehensive look at the Cleveland Indians and Cincinnati Reds. For the sixth consecutive season, we examine each team and their progress through the 2016 season. And now, the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Well, good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. I'm Dave Mitchell in the balmy temperatures of northern Ohio, which they have been balmy for about the last week. And it's time for the longest-running Internet radio program in America, the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show, where we talk about the Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds. And don't look now, but the Reds break them up. They are in first place in that National League Central. And in order to talk about the Reds, we go down south and bring in my co-host and resident Reds expert, Mark Donahue. Mark, you've got to be a happy camper this week. Well, David, I, I, I would have been normally ecstatic given the Reds' start after all the bad publicity they received during the offseason. But frankly, as my friend, I was worried about you. And I was worried about you on two levels here. Uh, number one, you had the temerity to actually say you thought the Indians were going to win the Central Division, which was bad enough. But then when they get off to a two and four or two and two start, I'm, I was I was worried about your health, I, your mental health. So are you? I will give you the opportunity to change your mind now if you think what you've seen in the four, first four games. Uh, is a reason to change your mind. Mark, I don't even know how you could gauge this. It has been so cold in Cleveland and Chicago. My brain hasn't had an opportunity to even disengage itself. And and, and I, I look at this and I say, after four games, how can you even decide what this team is going to do, to gauge what this team is going to do? They're out there freezing. They're freezing their limbs off playing in the these frigid temperatures, which Major League Baseball, quite honestly, should be considerably embarrassed about the way that they've put this schedule together, about what they have done to the Indians and the Reds during this first week. Yeah, the Reds have done an outstanding job. It's been a little warmer in southern Ohio than it has been in northern Ohio. But when you try to play through these frigid temperatures, and they put Detroit in New York, to play the initial Sunday night game. We're going to get into this in a little bit, but I think Major League Baseball and Rob Manfred should be completely embarrassed by themselves and the way they've put together this schedule. That being said, how else is everything going on, Mark? Can you hear me now, David? Yes. Okay, we had a blip. Uh, Internet connection problem, but I guess we're back. Yeah. Okay. I understand your angst, and as a Reds fan down here, they played a game the other night in snow, and it was 34 degrees on the field and a wind blowing, so God God knows what the the wind chill factor is. But, Dave, as I told you before we went on the air, uh, this is not, there's nothing we are going to say or anybody else is going to say to change baseball's approach to this because. It's all based on TV contracts. They're going to get the biggest names they can in the biggest markets they can, and that's it. They don't care about the cold weather, warm weather. It doesn't matter. They Mark, just, it doesn't. That that's a that's an insane argument. Insane. 
Because they are going to get the same amount of money if they open up, for example, let me just bring this to your attention. If you want to get into this now, we'll get into this. All right, the, the opening day, the Indians hosted Boston. Houston was at New York to take on the Yankees. Both of those games were rained out. The Phillies were at the Reds. That game was played. It started out in 58-degree temperature and ended up 32 degrees in that game. Meanwhile, here's the games that were elsewhere in the area. The Giants, a warm-weather team, were in Milwaukee in a dome stadium playing the Brewers. The Dodgers went south to play San Diego. Boy, that made a lot of sense. And Toronto, a dome stadium team, is in Tampa taking on the Rays in a dome stadium team. Now, you're going to tell me that it's going to make a hill of beans as to how much money Major League Baseball is going to bring in if that Yankee game is played in Houston or if the Reds are playing in San Diego and the Phillies are in L.A. playing the Dodgers or the Giants are hosting maybe Boston or Toronto is in Milwaukee. It doesn't make any sense, Mark. What's your point? How do you propose changing it? My proposal is you start opening up in dome stadiums and out west for these teams where you can. When you look, how in the world can you even justify opening up on April 4th in Cleveland, Ohio? How can you justify opening up on April 4th in Chicago? Teams that are on the Great Lakes where you know the weather is going to be terrible in the month of April. How can you even justify opening up in Yankee Stadium David, hold on. against a team in Houston? David, I am not challenging your logic. I am challenging your ability to make a change. Well, I think major, I think Rob Manfred, I'm going to get into something else, too, with Rob Manfred here in just a little bit. Rob Manfred ought to be embarrassed. Whoever put together this schedule in the first week, the Indians have played four games, four, in the first week. Now, I don't have a problem with them playing four games. They've had three games rained out. They made up one. The opening day was rained out. And they, they're giving the fans, I love this, they're giving the fans an extra game in April. You have to use that ticket up in the month of April. Can't use it throughout the rest of the season. You've got to use it in April. Now, there are kids that skipped school. There are people that took off of work that, and, and made plans to come up there for opening day to sit there in a frigid, progressive field and watch the Indians play on opening day. It, it makes absolutely no sense in Major League Baseball, as I said, should be embarrassed by it, and whether or not we can make a change, it doesn't matter. It's baseball that's got to make the change. And the the fact that, that they're saying that it, it has anything to do with money is crazy. Well, I think it has everything to do with money. They would never say that, of course. But unless the players' union and makes us think about it, nothing's going to change. Well, I, I don't know why the players' union... You know why would they, it, it's not the players' union that has to make us think about it, Mark? It's common sense with Major League Baseball. Unfortunately, it seems like common sense walked out the door when Bud Selig took over as commissioner of baseball, when Roger Goodell took over as commissioner of the NFL. 
Common sense is leaving the world of sports. Constantly. We don't have it in the world of sports anymore. And to sit there and say that you can play a game in Cleveland, Ohio on April 4th is nuts. And again, I say, Major League Baseball should be completely embarrassed by what they've done. Okay, let's assume you're right. Oh, I know I'm right. Let's not assume. I know I'm right. All right. Now what? (laughs) Baseball's got to make a change. Okay. They have got to get in there, not this year, but next year. Mark, the last two years the Indians have opened up on the road. They should have been on the road for the first nine games this year and opened up this Friday against the New York Mets at home. Why don't you put that in writing and send it to Manfred with your name and we'll interview him on the show next week. (laughs) I would love to get Rob Manfred on here, but that wouldn't be my first question. My first question would be, why hasn't Pete Rose been reinstated? But that's another story. Mark, the, 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 the start that the Reds have gotten off. I, I mean, people would have to say that this is a total shock. Is it a is it a blip on the screen? Well, I think it is, and I'm I'm the biggest Reds fan you're going to meet, I think. Uh, but in, in terms of their ability to sustain this the rest of the year, I don't think they will, unless they have more pitching. And I, I don't see that pitching coming up uh, that's going to be any better than they've had so far. I just don't think that the Reds have the – I said at the beginning of the year, in, in, over the winter, I believe the Reds offensively are going to be a better team than they were last year. Now, will that make up for a weaker pitching staff? I don't know. But when you take Chapman off this team and you take Cueto off this team, Mike Leak off this team, uh, it, it is a, a, a lesser pitching staff. Now, what we don't know is – how quickly will these young pitchers develop? Robert Stevenson pitched the other night. He was not that impressive to me. I think he pitched four, gave up six hits, uh, three runs, uh, four runs, but three were earned. I, I don't see him being the dominating number one starter that I've been led to believe he was going to be. Now, clearly that can change, but, you know, a lot of young pitchers th- come up, uh, and you can tell, you know, the first time they throw a ball, yeah, this kid may not win, but he's, he's got the goods. I didn't see that from Stevenson. And, and again, I don't want to have one appearance uh, form my opinion forever on Robert Stevenson. But your question, can the Reds sustain this? Not with what they've got so far, I don't think they can. Will they score runs? Yeah. But I don't think they're going to stop a lot of teams from scoring. Uh, like they have this first week, and I'll be the first one to say I hope I'm dead wrong. Well, they've had some good performances out of Finnegan. They've had a couple of good performances now out of Iglesias, and Melville came up the other night and pitched well. Uh, Melville pitched. He he battled. He didn't get beat. Is um, not a guy that's going to have. If, if he's in your rotation, you've got problems. I think he could be an effective. Uh, long man, but I don't see him at all being a dominant starter for the, for the Reds. So in terms of his long-term value to this team, I, I, I don't see it. Well, like I said, he battled. He got through that first inning on Saturday, I believe it was Saturday, uh, against Pittsburgh, and the first two guys got on, 
and he did not give up a run in that first inning. He battled through that that entire start that he had against the Pirates. Well, he had to battle because he didn't have any control. You know, he walked three guys in the first inning, and they hit some shots in the, on the second inning on him. Uh, you know, I, I think he can be a serviceable major league player, but he's if he's if he's in your starting rotation, I think you got some problems. Now, it, the Reds have other guys down there. They have Homer Bailey coming back, uh, John Moscott coming back, uh, Lorenzen will be coming back. Uh, they arms that are there, and, and Reed, I think, is going to be the sleeper for that for that team. So, yeah, the Reds have some. Their best pitching staff is probably on the DL right now, or in the minor leagues. Well, do you think they can get through the month of April until those pitchers are able to get back? Well, that's what I said last week on our on our show. If the Reds can play 500 through the middle of May, I think they have something. I think they can play 500 the rest of the year. I don't think the Reds are going to be a contender in the Central Division. Uh, I hope again I'm wrong. Uh, I, I don't see it in terms of their of their pitching staff that's going to be able to carry them that way. But uh, you never know, Dave. I mean. Uh, there are team when the Reds won in, in '90, they were not, not supposed to do that. Uh, there have been many, many instances of teams picked to finish at the bottom of the division, and all of a sudden they win it. Now, uh, do they repeat? Probably not. But uh, you know, the, the Reds again, offensively, they're going to score some runs for you. I'll tell you what I've been disappointed in. And, and the only thing I've been disappointed in as far as the Reds are. As far as the Reds are concerned, the only thing I've been disappointed in is the performance of J.J. Hoover. Uh, don't get me started. Uh, <laughs> you know, I think the Reds, you know, you look at that lineup, and Walt Jockety has done some good things. The, the signing of Suarez, <coughs> or the, the trade for Suarez, for Alfredo Simon two years ago was a great trade. Uh, Suarez, I'm telling you, Dave, uh, he is going to be a stud uh, in terms of offense. So I think that was a great trade. And getting Simon back, I think he'll he'll be a, a usable guy this year. But I don't know why they would have traded Chapman for what they got. Now, don't forget, Chapman wouldn't have been able to play for the Reds anyway up until, I think, May 17th or something like that because of his 30-game suspension. So uh, he wouldn't have been able to pitch that game the other night that Hoover gave up the Grand Slam home run. But, if, again, if the Reds have to rely on Hoover as their stopper, as their closer, uh, this team doesn't have a prayer. No, I, I agree with you. I've been disappointed with him since the very first game when you you and I talked about that last Monday night uh, where he, he uh, gave up two shots, that one down the left field line, one up into the right center field alley, and it had to have been for a couple of great defensive plays by Holt and Hamilton, uh, they would have had a lot of problems in that inning against Philadelphia and probably would not have won that game. Mark, the Indians, though, we talked a little bit about them. They're 2-2. Two and two. They're off tonight. They go to Tampa Bay, which is the only thing on the schedule that has made sense so far. They're now in Tampa Bay to play a three-game set against the Rays tomorrow, Wednesday, and Thursday, and then they come home again to take on the New York Mets in a matchup of what I believe, Mark, this Friday is the two best pitching staffs in baseball. Okay. um, Give me the top three pitchers on each team. 
Corey Kluber, Carrasco, Salazar. You give me the Mets. Well, it depends. Harvey, um, uh, Syndergaard, I, I guess he'd be number two. I can't think of their number three. I rest my case. Well, it doesn't mean he's not good. I just can't think of who it is right now. <laughs> I, I think I think the Indians have, you you scoffed at me last week when I said that. I think the Indians have a better pitching staff and a better starting rotation than the New York Mets do. I don't. Well, don't. that's that's another thing that we, we have to disagree upon. You know, the, the thing though, Mark, is I was very, very disappointed on Saturday in Terry Francona. Extremely disappointed. I know he's one of the top five managers in baseball. He's regarded as that. I, I like Francona as a player's manager. I feel the way he makes up lineups and defensive positions leaves a tremendous amount to be desired. And on Saturday, his outfield consisted of, and let me just tell you what that was. In left field was Juan Ramirez. In center field was Rajay Davis. And in right field was Colin Cowgill. And it was because of that outfield, Mark, that when he brought in Brian Shaw in the seventh inning in a 3-2 to two Indians lead, that Shaw ended up giving up four runs because the defense could not catch the baseball in the outfield. That's the one thing that I have against Terry Francona is I really don't, I really believe that he has no concept whatsoever of defensive outfield play because he'll just throw anybody in the outfield, including Juan Ramirez. Ramirez to me, alright, he's a serviceable outfielder, but you've got a left fielder in Rajay Davis playing center when you've already told Tyler Naquin he was going to be the starting center fielder this year. And then you've got Cowgill out and right when you've got a nice defensive outfielder. Is he great? No. Marlon Bird I'm talking about. But he's better than Colin Cowgill, who has been mired in the minor leagues for the last seven years. And that, that's the thing that gets me about Francona. He thinks he's got to doctor these lineups up all the time and play these guys in different positions and fiddly fart around with them all over the place, and, and it really cost them a ball game on Saturday. Now, don't you wish you would listen to me last year or at the, during the off season when I said you should have traded us Bauer for Billy Hamilton? No. I don't, why would I want Billy Hamilton? Because you need an outfielder. I, I've got an outfielder. It's Tyler Naquin. They don't play him. They wouldn't play Billy okay. Hamilton either. Okay, I'll give you Jay Bruce. <laughs> hey, he's hitting this year, buddy. He he's hitting. Why would you want to get rid of him? No, I'm being. I'll, I, I'm picking. I'll give you Colin Cowgill for him. Let's see how much you like Cowgill after that trade is made. I, I like to have Bauer for Bruce. No. Uh, well. No, no, not not at all, not at all. Um, that that is a that is a trade that. Although I'll tell you what, I still think Bauer is on the trading block. I still think they're looking at him. Now, the first time he came out of the bullpen, Mark, he was just totally in awe of his surroundings. But the last two times that he's come out of the bullpen, he's made three appearances in four games. He's done a pretty good job. Now, I think what their plan is, they're either, they're doing one of two things with Bauer. 
They're either showcasing him to trade him, or they're trying to do the same thing with him that they did with Carlos Carrasco two years ago when they put him in the bullpen for a while, and that seemed to straighten him out, and now he's one of the most effective starters in baseball. Yeah, I wish the Reds would do more of that, frankly. Uh, they, they don't work guys. You know, starters back in the day, a starter got his start in the bullpen. Uh, they, they'd go long relief. They'd pitch even uh, as closers sometimes uh, to work their way onto the staff and get a feel for the big leagues. That was their training ground. And I don't know why they don't do that anymore unless it's, you know, relieving in their minds has become so specialized that you have to have an eighth-inning guy. you got to have a sixth-inning guy, an eighth-inning guy, a seventh-inning guy. You have to have a specialization in baseball that I'm not sure is required. I, I don't know why uh, if a guy can throw 98 miles an hour and he's a potential starter, why wouldn't he be effective, say, in the seventh inning? Well, I, I agree with you. Uh, absolutely. Matter of fact, I was shocked on Saturday that the Indians brought Brian Shaw into the ball game in the seventh inning because he has most notably been their eighth inning setup, eighth inning setup man, uh, leading into the the ninth inning, of course, well, with their their closer. So I I'm not sure exactly what they're doing right now as far as the Indians are concerned. Now I will tell you this: that there are three gentlemen. For the Indians, Michael Brantley is going down to begin his rehab assignment at Class AAA Columbus tomorrow. He's going to join Lonnie Chisenhall and Tommy Hunter, who are also rehabbing with the Clippers. So the Indians may get Brantley back a little sooner than they thought. If he's going down to Columbus, you would think he'd be back with the big league club in about a week if everything goes well, and, and Chisenhall. So their outfield situation could straighten itself out pretty quickly. So why are you whining? Because one game, they had an outfield that you didn't like. Because they missed out. You know, one game in April can cost you the playoffs in October. All right, David. And and you and I both know that. How many teams have we, we known that have lost out on the playoffs by one or two games in October? And it's mainly because they look at April and say, well, it's a long season. We can give up a game here. There have been exactly 11. <laughs> All right. There there you go. You know, you know, I saw something interesting today also. The Louisville Bats, which I, I love that nickname. You know, I, I, ju I just do. The Louisville Bats, Mark. After all your complaining about the Reds minor league system, they are ranked in the top five of minor league teams in baseball. And? They're saying they've got a tremendous amount of talent down in the minor league system with Louisville. They do. And the reason I complained before is they didn't have that talent. But with all these trades the Reds have brought in, they have they have moved a lot of that along, and guys that were in Double A last year have moved up to Triple A, and the Reds do have a really good Triple A team in the bats. So you know it, it does bode well for the Reds coming up in the next year or two that they're going to have a lot of uh, if if not people help them on the twenty five man roster immediately. They have people that they can trade in Triple A that would might get you a specialized player that you need for a pennant run. The Reds haven't been able to do that. 
uh, even when they back in uh, you know 10, 12, and 13 when they made the playoffs, they could have been helped by a late season trade or somebody to come in and, and, and fill in an offensive spot. But they had nothing to trade with. They had absolutely no help in the minor leagues. And, you know, that that's the big difference in this organization going forward. Uh, and don't forget, the Reds are going to get a number one draft pick this year. And they're going to also have a, uh, a sandwich pick between the first and second round. And they have the number one international pick this year. So the Reds have a chance to really load up with some great talent in the next couple of years. I don't know what's going to happen uh, this year in terms of their position in the draft for 2008. And the Reds, uh, again, I, I don't see it happening this year, uh, but I think in 2017 and 18, the Reds are going to be tough. Mark, I only need to look as far as the Cleveland Browns and say, don't look a gift horse in the mouth when you've got number one draft picks. When they took Gilbert and Manziel in the first round, that just tells you how much an organization can really screw up draft picks. Yeah, I think every team at some point will look back and say, how could we be so stupid? Uh, no matter what, <laughs> you know, no matter what sport it is. And these things are always calculated risks. Uh, but again, if you have a number one pick, uh, it, it does, actually the Reds have a number two pick. I said number one, it'll be number two. They'll have number two and number 31. And plus the international pick. So they're going to get some talent in that organization. Will it pan out? Statistically? No. Drafts, you know, statistically, they don't yield a lot of major league talent and they, the star power, is also very limited once you get out of the, the, the top five or, or, or ten picks in any draft. And only less than 5% of all the kids who are playing minor league baseball even make it to the big leagues. So, Mark, it's, it's a real, real crapshoot. Mark, I was a little concerned yesterday with the Indians being rained out. I got the opportunity to watch the entire Reds game. I was a little concerned about a managerial maneuver that Brian Price uh, did. I believe it was in the seventh inning of yesterday's game when they were mired in that 2-2 tie, and the leadoff man got on board, and it brought up Suarez to the plate. And Suarez is leading the team in home runs and RBIs, Mark, and Brian Price asks him to bunt. Were you a little concerned about that maneuver, or did you agree with Price? I agreed with Price, and maybe not for just the reason you might think. I think in that situation, uh, you had Joey Votto coming up on deck. Uh, yeah, I would have bunted him as well. But I also think when the other players on the bench see the manager asking a guy like uh, Suarez, who is crushing the ball, to bunt, I think that puts them on notice, guys. You, all, you ought to be ready, all of you because I may ask you to butt at any given time. So I, I agreed with it. I think statistically, uh, bunts don't pan out very often. If you look at the numbers and play money ball like Billy Bean does, he, you know, he does not like the bunt, seldom bunts all year. You know, you're giving an out away and all that. But in that particular situation, your best hitter, one of the best hitters in baseball coming up, yeah, I would have bunted him. You know, I had a problem with that. I keep going back to what, 
you know, Tommy Lasorda, uh, Sparky Anderson, they all said you don't take the bats out of your big hitters' hands. And if Suarez is successful, not only do they give up an out, and yeah, they've got a runner at second base, but as you said, Votto is coming up next. They're going to walk Votto. They're going to put him on first base, and that would bring up Phillips to the plate against a right-handed pitcher. Um, I, I just have a problem with that situation, Mark. I, I just didn't like it, but eventually he did take off the bunt after he, he missed. He, he took the first one for a ball and then bunted the second one foul. Uh, he did take the bunt off, so I was happy to see that. Yeah, and again, I, I think if you want to put runners in scoring position, it puts pressure on the on the defense and the pitcher, and a lot can happen. You put a good bunt down, they could throw it away. He could beat it out. Uh, you know, a strikeout or a double play there takes you out of the inning, or certainly a double play does. So I would have been, I'm okay with that play. Uh, and again, each each one of these, Dave, it depends on where you are in the game. And you know, if you if you think you're going to have a big inning, it's early in the game. Yeah, I'd let him swing away, but it, it, that was, I think it was that in the seventh inning that happened? Uh, yes. Yeah, I, that, that, to me, that was a, a very good move, and um, I will defend Brian Price to the death. <laughs> well, you know, not only is the Reds' position players hitting well, but you know what, Mark? Their pitchers are hitting pretty well, too. Brandon Finnegan, who's pitching tonight, he got his first career RBI as the Reds are leading the Cubs tonight 3 to nothing. Yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of the exciting part about the way the National League is, having the pitchers hit. Uh, you never know what's going to happen. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I mean, right now the Reds, uh, they're, they're doing a lot of things correct. And uh, who knows what's going to happen, but... You know, for the for the Reds fans who have been just smeared all year reading about their team finishing last, you know, I, I cannot think of one major publication that have the Reds anything but last in their preseason projections. So it, That's true. I, I, I could agree with that. Yeah, I, I haven't seen anybody really say that the Reds were going to be out of fifth place. They were going to finish last. Yeah, and I had them third this year only because I think I thought Pittsburgh was a bit overrated. They haven't shown that yet. They've been playing great ball, too. Uh, the Cardinals have come off the mat. They lost their first three games to Pittsburgh, but they've come back. Of course, they beat up, beat up Atlanta in a four-game series, and that's not hard to do. So it's going to be an interesting Central Division race, but if you look at the the collective winning percentages of all the divisions, the Central Division is way ahead of everybody else. I mean, they they clearly right now are the best division in baseball. Definitely. There, there's no doubt about that. You know, and and when you look at the – but I think that the division that is the hardest to predict, and we talked about this last week, is the American League East. <clears throat> it, the National League Central may be the toughest one, but the American League East is the toughest – to predict because there are so many variables with each team. Yeah, that that Toronto team, that that lineup. I saw them play the other day. Man, those guys can rip. And the other team is going to be exciting for me to see is is Colorado because of this kid Story, who has what seven home runs in six games. 
Uh, yes. He's already set three major league records. He's been up for seven games. That's hard to do. And if Reyes wasn't such a bonehead, he'd be in the minors right now. Yeah, you're probably right. Yeah. You know, he, he wouldn't even have a shot at the major league roster. And if he was with the Indians, they would have gone out and picked up somebody else. They wouldn't have given this kid an opportunity to play. I, I'm serious when I say that. Serious is a heart attack. Uh, I haven't they seen, would have. Did you see his minor league statistics? Because I have not looked at <coughs> They were nothing that were outstanding. Nothing that would catch your eye. He he's a he's a good ball player, but nothing in the minor league level that would catch your eye. Well, that's amazing. <clears throat> I saw him hit yesterday, and I mean he's got some legitimate power. He's he's got some big time power. And they said every home run he's hit has been a blast. It's not been you know fly balls. Now I don't know how many of the games they have played in Colorado. I know they played a few of them there, but uh, you know th- th- this kid. Mark, I'm losing you. You're cutting yourself in and out. I'm not sure what what the situation is, but I'm looking up right now the um, the schedule that Colorado has played over the last few game uh, over the beginning of this season. And when I I let me get an opportunity to bring it up here. But when you talk about story, like I said, he's the type of kid that really has not done anything at the minor league level that would convince you that he was going to have this type of a start. Uh, nonetheless, he, he's been pretty invincible. Now, they've been in Arizona the first three games, and then they played a three-game set against San Diego this weekend. Now, Arizona's a tough place to hit some home runs. There's dead air out there. That's right. San Diego, though, that was played in Colorado, and they've got a night off tonight, and then they play San Francisco three games in Colorado also. So he's done a pretty good job for not playing any game, you know, only three games in Colorado. Well, it's exciting. I mean, that's why baseball is so great. You never know. You might have a young pitcher early in the season throw a no-hitter nobody's ever heard of. Or a guy like Story who just tears the league up. You remember the last guy who did this that I can recall who just was unconscious when they first came up? You know who I'm talking about? No. Jay Bruce. His, ah. his first month in the season, I think he hit over 500 and hit six or seven home runs. And he was making great defensive plays. He was running. I mean, they couldn't get him out. Even his, his outs were, were shots. How about the loss of Kyle Schwarber yeah, to the Cubs? I think that's going to hurt Chicago more than they want to let on. Uh, and I, I'm still not sold on uh, Chicago's pitching staff. Uh, Lackey, uh, Lester, I don't think they're the stoppers you need uh, to, to be a, a true World Series contender. Now, you know, they're both – Bullpen, uh, yeah, pretty strong bullpen. Offensively, I think they're solid. They're not overpowering like Toronto. Uh, I'm not sold on Chicago yet. Uh, I want to see how these young hitters adjust to the pitchers who have made adjustments over this, over the offseason. I guarantee you they have. Uh, you're not going to see these guys, uh, escape some slumps, uh, during the season. So, uh, that's why I didn't pick Chicago. Uh, I just don't think they're, 
the team that everybody else does, and, and maybe I'll be wrong, but uh, I don't know what you think about them, but I, I'm, I'm not sold on their pitching staff. Well, I picked them to win the World Series, so I think pretty highly of them, and I also think that they are probably very happy right now that they did not trade Jorge Soler during the off season when they were talking about that, especially uh, when they uh, signed Hayward to play right field. I think they're very, very happy that they kept Soler. Oh, yeah, I agree with you. Um, I was hoping the Reds might be able to do a deal with him because uh, I was thinking maybe they send Chapman to Chicago for Solaire. That would have been a good trade. But, of course, then you've got to face Chapman 22 times a year or 17 times a year, whatever it is. But, uh, you know, it's interesting with Chapman. Uh, he is going to come back, I, I think, again in, mid, in mid-May. And that Yankee bullpen already is just lights out. Uh, I mean, they got a great bullpen. And I, I wonder, I was thinking today, where do you, I guess you have to close him. Uh, and, uh, Belantis is, has been really pitching well. And so has, uh, the entire bullpen. Yankees, I think Yankees are a sleeper team this year. Well, they, they were the team that, that I picked to actually win that division because of their pitching staff. I just felt their bullpen was right there. And, uh, I just thought they would win that division. You know, Mark, a couple of players that are playing very well for the Indians right now, too, are Mike Napoli and Carlos Santana. After a couple of years of really complaining about Carlos Santana, maybe they finally got him in a spot, Mark, in that DH spot, where he could just concentrate on his hitting. And he's not in the cleanup spot either any longer. He's in the number five hole right behind Napoli. Napoli's got a couple of home runs in the four games. Santana's got a couple of home runs, and he's leading the team in RBIs. So the Indians are getting some good hitting finally out of their fourth and fifth spots, and I think that that's if that continues, that should be bode them very well for the rest of the year. You know, I, I started out this evening, and I said I wanted to talk about a couple of things. We've already talked about the schedule. Another thing... Mark, I know you and I are going to disagree on this. I'm sorry, but you're going to be wrong. (laughs) That Major League Baseball has to look into and needs to take care of the problem immediately. And I know you know what I'm going to bring up. The slide into second base. Those new takeout slide rules that were implemented over the winter, are they seem to be justified, they seem to be commonsensical, but they're not. There are four things that Major League Baseball has instituted. That a runner has to begin his slide, makes contact with the ground before reaching the base. The runner has to be able and attempts to reach the base with his hand or foot. The runner also has to be able and attempts to remain on the base except home plate after completion of the slide, which that is a joke, and he slides within reach of the base without changing his pathway for the purpose of initiating contact with a fielder. Now, Mark, you I know as a baseball fan, you saw both situations over the first week of the season. The first one happened in the Toronto series, where the Blue Jays' Jose Bautista broke the rule, supposedly, sliding into second as he slid past the bag and came into contact with the shortstop Adam Forsythe's leg. The 
runs were nullified for Tampa for Toronto, and the Jays ended up winning that game three to two. Wait a minute. I'm sure you saw the play. I saw the play, and he grabbed the guy's foot. But he was on the bag. So what? You can't. That is a legal slide. It's a legal slide, but it's interference. No, it's not. Yes, it is. You can't. It does not say anything about that here. You're confusing rules. You cannot reach out with your hand and touch a defensive player. You can't. That's 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 a violation not of the slide rule, but of the interference rule. So, so you're saying so oh, you're you saying that his hand up. going out. So what are you going to say if the guy puts his hands in the air, slides into second, and the ball hits his hand? Well, that's that's a different play. He reached out and grabbed the guy's leg, Dave. He didn't grab it. He hit it. He grabbed it. He hit it. He didn't grab it. He hit it. He he held on to it. He pulled the leg up. No, he didn't. He didn't pull the foot. Okay. No, he hit his ankle, and the guy threw the ball wide at first base. I understand that. That's okay. Fair. But according to these rules, and the, what they used was they implemented the so-called Utley rule, is what they're calling it now, which I'll get into here in a second also. They they implemented that, called the double play. They didn't call interference. They called it the Utley rule. He didn't do anything outside of these rules. Well, he, according to what I saw on ESPN the other night, that they it was an interference play. They Originally, when they first made the call, it was because of the Utley rule. They went back and looked at it and said it was interference anyway. The guy was doubly in the wrong. But, you know, that this could be this could be fixed so easily, just like they did with the charge rule in college basketball. Put a permanent block around second base. Oh, here we go. Oh, come Put on. Put a permanent block, a painted block around second base. Oh, it, are you serious? Yes, I'm very serious because that way it takes oh. the argument out of it. You, you know where the guy, it'd be easy to see. On uh, instant replay, if a guy is in or out of the box, and it's in, believe me, the players they want that rule in there. They don't want broken legs, and they don't want to go in there and get their head taken off by a shortstop that's going to no. cross the. Wah wah wah! Oh jeez! These guys are making millions. Mark, why was this okay? Why was this rule put into place? Because the guys are making millions of dollars, and you don't want somebody breaking their leg like Ugly did. To that shortstop. Ruben Tejada, right? That's right. That's why. Okay. Let me ask you this question. Had that same play happened to Omar Vizquel or Ozzie Smith in the playoffs ten years ago, would they have made that rule change? I don't know. What's it, no. What's it, I can tell you right now, they would not have. The only reason that is a big deal, the only reason that was a big deal, was because it was a New York player. Oh, That's Dave. it. Dave, come on. It is, Mark, how can you deny it? Because it was a New York Mets player, had it been a Yankee short... Boy, if it had been uh, Derek Jeter, holy cow. I have seen so many players get hurt. Uh, and what player have you ever seen get hurt at second base on a rolling block, it, it, other than Ruben Tejada? Oh, are you kidding me? No, I'm serious. Well, over the you know, I just watched a play from the '72 series about two weeks ago, 
where Hal McRae threw a rolling block into Dick Green, and nothing was said, nothing was done. He went in there to break up a double play in the 72 World Series. He did his job. That's the way baseball is supposed to be played. Yes, and you asked uh, five minutes ago uh, when you started this tirade, why are they doing it? They're doing it because players are making millions of dollars a year, and you don't need to do that. You, you don't have to have players hurt because you want some macho rule from 1958 baseball. That that just doesn't make any sense. And I never thought that the Utley slide into the Hada was illegal anyway. It was late. I mean, they're taking a rule... And they're they're making a rule out of something that has been done in baseball for over a hundred years, and because one player, a New York Mets shortstop, got hurt, well, they they want to make a rule about it. It isn't about one player. It, it's the 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 managers sometimes go a little overboard in terms of what their players should be doing, and in terms of the the risk factor, what do you gain? by not having the rule. What's the advantage of not having the rule? The fundamentals in base running, Mark, and you and I both know this, is that you break up the double play at second base. That has always been a baseball rule. You break up the play at second base. You and I have talked about another thing that's been going on in baseball for years. We've always talked about it. We agree with this. Umpires should not have anything to do with a pitcher throwing at a batter. The players will take care of it themselves. Now, you know what? Let's go back to 1973. Bud Harrelson didn't like the way Pete Rose slid into second base that day either. And what happened? Did they make a rule to stop it? No. What did they do? Bud and Pete took care of it themselves. You're confusing a rule with the tradition. a tradition. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. The, the, the tradition has been over the decades. Yeah, you, you you dive into second base, you try to take out a shortstop, and if you break his leg or, or screw up his arm, no, it's never been about breaking. It's been about breaking up the double yeah. play, not about breaking somebody's leg. Well, it has happened. I've seen knee injuries. Why? What's the point of it? Because you're trying to win a ball game. You're trying to break up a double play. Yes, that, and you can still go in. If you go straight into the bag, you can still take the shortstop in the left field. You just can't, That's right. You can't do it anymore. As, as long as it, it's, it's within the reach of the bag, you, can still, you just can't slide late. Did you, see, did you see the Corey Rasmus slide yesterday? I did not. Okay. In the ninth inning of the game between the Astros and the Brewers, there were runners at first and third and one out. Colby Rasmus slid past the bag on second to the outfield side of second, Mark. He was on the outfield side of second. The second baseman was on the infield side of second. They were five feet apart. Five. They both went on the opposite side of the bag. The umpire, Dan Bellino called it a double play ending the game because of the Utley rule. It makes no sense whatsoever, this whole rule. Well, just like the uh, the play at the plate last year. Remember when they had so many different uh, permutations of uh, how that rule was interpreted? I'm sure this is going to go through the same thing. And They, may... they had it yesterday with Devin Mesoraco. Yeah, yeah. And... Which was a... That, that's another... 
you know, uh, yeah, I wanted to bring that up too. This blocking the home plate deal. Come on, you know, this is this has gone on too far. It, it, we're so concerned about getting people hurt nowadays that yeah, that's we, terrible. We don't even play the game. That's terrible. Oh come on, you might have a play every three games at the home plate, and Devin Mesoraco, he he did a great job. You're, the catcher is allowed to block the plate as long as he has the ball. You can still knock the catcher into left field if you want, knock him over on his butt. Uh, if, if he's got you the ball, you can't bowl the catcher over anymore. Yes, you absolutely, positively can. You're wrong. You are absolutely wrong about that. If the catcher has the ball and he's blocking the plate and he doesn't give you a path to the plate, you can go right into him. And that I'm absolutely right on that. What you? I think you better look that rule I, up. I know what the rule is. I don't have to look. They it were up. even talking about it yesterday. I know, but that it, you it, can't run over the catcher you, anymore. You can. As long as he has the ball and does not give you a path to the plate, you can knock him over. He has to give you a path to the plate. If he doesn't, you can nail him. And then he can be called for interference. But Mesoraco, you're <laughs> not called for interference because he's allowed to catch the ball and block the plate and you bowl him over, then he's going to be called for interference? That makes no sense, Mark. You just bought into the argument I'm making. No, I, I These didn't rules buy make it. no sense. Yes, it, it, you can reach for the ball. If there's a, a baseball move to get the ball, you're allowed to, to you know, cross the, the, the plate, get that ball, and put a tag on the guy. I, I will bet you 100 bucks. I'll bet you 100 bucks in cash that a, a runner can knock over the catcher still in today's game, and, and, and that's Perfectly within the rules. If you know, you're talking about this happens every once out of three games, once out of four games. You know, Mark, it's once a season, not even that. It's once every five years that somebody was hurt at second base sliding into home. It was How many years was it between the fact that Ray Fossey got bowled over in the All-Star game in 1970 and three years ago when Buster Posey got hit at home plate and busted up his knee. What's that, 35 years? Yeah, and, and those plays, the injuries to those players are worth it in your mind? It's okay? Yes. Get hurt? Oh, gee. Uh, you know, <laughs> we cannot legislate against injuries. You cannot do it. This is a game. Yes, they are played millions and millions of dollars, but they're being paid to risk their bodies out there, Mark. We can't change the way the game is played and change the game to keep these guys from being injured. When we do that, we're ruining the fabric of the game. No, we're not ruining anything. You just mentioned it doesn't happen all that often, so why not just eliminate it altogether? It doesn't have an impact on the game. It doesn't have an impact if, on the game at all. The no, what I'm saying is, is that the injuries don't happen very often. But when they do, it, they can be career-changing I mean, I, I don't understand why having having a rule that is acceptable will go in and take out a shortstop with a with a late slide and possibly end end his career. It is worth not having that rule in place. It doesn't make any sense. Mark, did they get rid of drainage uh, drainage ditches? In the outfield, when Mickey Mantle tripped over one and ruined his knee, yeah. As a matter of no, fact, no, they didn't. Yeah, they did too. They did, Dave. They just cover them up better. Okay. By the way, I was just I was just texted. I I will admit when I am wrong. You are right. 
the the you can you can run over the catcher. Yes, that's it. I think we bet a hundred bucks on that, didn't we? No, I didn't. I no. Oh, I I think we got this on no. tape. But I will say I will say this that if I if I can admit that I'm wrong about that, you need to admit that you're wrong about these plays at second base. I'm not. This is all this is all for nothing. I'm I'm not wrong. It, it, well, right here, right here. I just saw it, Mark. Here's a great example in the Reds game. The Cubs just hit it, the Reds just hit into a double play. The second baseman for the Cubs flips it to the shortstop, and Joey Votto immediately makes a left-hand turn and doesn't even go to the bag. Because just he just gave it up right away. He was 20 feet from the bag. I just saw the play myself. There was no way he was going to have any impact on that play. So are you saying that he should risk a ball in between his eyes, which what they used to do back in the day, if a guy came in hard, they'd take his head off with a throw for the first base. He's supposed to go in there and slide anyway when it has no impact at all and both yes. players could be hurt? Yes. That's, that's insane. No, it's not. It's not insane. You play the game to win. You play hard. It doesn't matter to play hard, David. Playing is stupid. And risking a twenty-nine, a twenty-five million dollar a year player who could get hurt on the slide, or a shortstop like uh, Tulowitzki who got hurt a couple of years ago on a slide, the same thing happens. Tulowitzki gets hurt when he walks up the steps. But he was one of the shortstops who got nailed, and he didn't get hurt being on a slide. He did too. He got hurt. No, he didn't. He's been hurt. You're right, several times in different ways. That was one of them. But shortstops have been taken out for a long time. Yeah, there's not injuries all the time on that, but there's enough injuries. Why would you want to risk it over something that's not going to change 99% of the games? Because I am tired of of these games being legislated to stay away from injuries. I'm tired of these guys making millions and millions of dollars. And just like Gary Sheffield said yesterday, I heard him on an interview on CBS, Gary Sheffield said, if you can't play Major League Baseball today, you are really not talented at all because they have taken everything out of it. And they have taken away the slide at second. They've taken away the, the play at home plate. They've taken away the pitcher legislating things in, on pitching inside. They've taken it all away, Mark. You can't do anything now. It's baseball by the numbers. That's it. Yeah, and Without a salary cap. Yeah, and baseball's attendance goes up every year. The players are making hundreds of millions of dollars a year. The fans keep coming out. Yeah, they want to see a shortstop, you know, have his leg broken in three spots. That's what they want to see. I don't think the fans care. Oh. The fans obviously don't care because they watch it happen in the NFL every Sunday. They watch it happen in college football every Saturday. Well, maybe it's because baseball values its product, which is a player, and there's nothing to be gained by having this kind of macho nonsense where you go in there and break Buster Posey's leg, and it could have ended his career. And it, it didn't, fortunately, but he was out for the rest of the year. Horrible broken leg, and that's happened more than once. You've seen it, you've seen it so many times. I, I don't know how anybody defends that kind of what, nonsense. When are we going to legislate, then, Kyle Schwarber and the way he got hurt? When are we going to do that? How are you going to stop that, Mark? You're not going to stop it. it that, that's, right. That's, that's apples and oranges, and it's a, it's a false equivalency. equivalency. 
it, that's, that was happening on the, on the field and left field. He ran into another outfielder. That stuff's going to happen. But when, when, uh, what's his name? The, the guy who broke his leg last year, uh, at second base. Who, Ruben Tejada? Yeah, Tejada. Uh, when his leg is broken by a slide that comes in late. Now, I didn't say that the guy who slid into him meant to break his leg. I'm not saying that. But he puts him in a position where that can happen. And that, and this year, he would have been, he would have been suspended. Well, I'll tell you one thing. I'm sure you and I would both be upset if the, this happened to the Reds or the Indians when a guy just made a left-hand turn like Votto did in the seventh game of the World Series instead of going in and trying to break up a double play with the winning run or the tying run standing at third base. Dave, I just saw that play. Joey Votto was about, he was, 30 feet from the bag. <laughs> You're not, I've done that when I'm on first base. If there's no chance, a hard-hit ground ball to the second baseman or sure stuff, you have, there's no way you're going to break up a play. The only Troy, Troy Tulowitzki, I was just notified, was injured in 2013, not at second base. It was because he slid into home plate crazily and strained his shoulder. That kept him out for the rest of the year. He's never been injured on a play at second. Yeah, I'm talking about four or five years ago. He was carried off the field. I can still see it. He, I don't think he was hurt permanently, but he was hurt. And you had these guys making this kind of money, and <laughs> it just makes no sense. I, I don't understand the <laughs> I don't understand the the argument that that the for, argument is we need to quit legislating and putting rules in place. A because it happened to a New York player. Um, B because of the fact that we want to make sure that these multi-million dollar athletes stay on the field all the time. And C, you're taking away the fabric of the game. Dave, that argument is so bogus, uh, it makes no sense. I, I don't even know how to respond to it. You said yourself, the, the, the way that, you mean you want the players taken off the field and risk injury? Is that what you No, I don't think they're going to get injured, Mark. Okay. I think this was a this was a an accident that happened with Ruben Tejada. Okay, it was not a malicious slide. Nothing was wrong with it. It was done within the rules. It was done the way that slides have been made into second base year after year. And my, my argument is because it happened to a New York ball player in the middle of the playoffs there was an uproar by the media and the fans in new york and they decided they were going to make a change they were right they, they went off half cocked on it they were right it was it was a cheap slide there was nothing wrong with that slide there was it was well within the with rules it. and it was in the rules of yes. what they've got now that, he slid over the bag mark he didn't even slide past he, it he slid late he dove into the So kite. it doesn't say anything here. It says he has to begin his slide before reaching the base. Chase Utley did that. That's why they didn't suspend him, I guess. But No, this is the new rule. I, I understand that. They, they changed the rule, and basically the same play that Utley made, the same slide, is perfectly legal according to the changes that they made. Read the rule. There's something... I'm reading it. It's right here. What's it he say begins about... His sl- What's it say about a late slide? It doesn't say anything about a late slide. It says, this is the first part of the rule, he begins his slide, i.e., makes contact with the ground before reaching the base. Okay. 
my interpretation of that and the umpire's interpretation was that a late slide where a guy is right on top of the bag and he dives into the bag, that's an illegal slide. Not if he makes contact before the base. Well, I, I, that's what I, the interpretation that I was, I heard about on TV the other night, they were talking about this, was a player cannot come in and just dive into the bag, even if he makes contact with the ground first. And that's Mark, the, the I think we're going to have to agree to disagree on this. Well, it, it's the idea that you're okay with a rule that protects a player and players and keeps them on the field, that you disagree with that is is kind of mind-blowing. I disagree with it because it takes away the fabric of the game. Oh, a fundamental no, of baseball, and you have to admit this, a fundamental rule in baseball has always always been do whatever you can legally to break up the double play. They, that is not a rule. That's, a That's not a rule. It's a fundamental fabric of the game. No, it's not. It, yes, it is. It always has been, Mark. Hurting somebody. I'm not saying hurting. Okay. I'm saying you break up the double play. Yes, and you still can break up the double play. You no, can't. you can't. Oh, God, David. If you, you, you have to. There are so many rules here that if you bowl over the guy at second base, if you do, if you do, if you do everything according to this, because Colby Rasmus did, and they still called him out. Okay. Uh, this is beyond uh, any argument that I can come up with because it's so <laughs> idiotic. I, I'm, I'm not. My mind isn't there. The, the idea of that a player can be hurt, and you want to change a rule that prohibits that. To me, it just makes sense. But if you don't believe that, and Mark, please. my point is, is that if you want to make a rule over every player that has ever been hurt in Major League Baseball, then how are you going uh, to legislate Kyle Schwarber not getting hurt in left center field? How are you going to do it? Do you really, do you really think I am saying that? Is that what you're saying? No, I don't think you are. Okay, but I'm using, I'm using what you're saying. And saying, for crying out loud, if we're gonna do, if we're gonna try to legislate this crazy thing at second base, then you've got, and, and you want to do it because you're afraid of a player getting injured. I'm not. Well, then you've got to take everything into consideration. I'm not afraid of a player getting injured. It's sports. I'm afraid of traditions like that. It's like the head-hunting pitcher of, of, of 30 years ago. A pitcher can throw a ball 95 miles an hour at a hitter's head and kill him. And at one time, there was no rule against that. That is insane. End of story. I don't want to talk about it anymore. <laughs> We're going to agree to disagree. Mark, what do the Reds have coming up this week? They've got Chicago tonight, tomorrow, uh, I'm sorry, Tuesday and Wednesday, and then they go to St. Louis for a weekend. Yeah, they've... They've got the they've got the card. Actually, they're off tomorrow and they play Wednesday, Thursday. Yeah, that's what I said. I said they play uh, okay. today, Wednesday, Thursday, and then the weekend against the Cardinals. And then the Indians this week. They're at Tampa Bay tomorrow night, Wednesday, and Thursday afternoon, and they host the Mets coming in Friday, Saturday afternoon, and Sunday afternoon. Mark, it's been one of those shows. We'll talk to you again next week. That's going to do it for tonight. Our thanks to Mark Donahue. Also, our thanks to our producer, Greg Mitchell. We're running late tonight, so we're going to get out of here rather quickly. I'm Dave Mitchell. Thanks to you for listening. Until next week at 9 o'clock with another Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Have a good night, everybody.
The Wiz Kids had won it. Bobby Thompson had done it. And Yogi read the comics all the while. Rock and roll was being born. Marijuana we would scorn. So down on the corner, the national pastime went on trial. We're talking baseball. Klazuski, Campanella, talking baseball. The man and Bobby Feller, the scooter.